Chapter 4 of Christina by L. G. Moberly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Trevor Neal Dent. Chapter 4 I suppose it was an hour. Poor dear James is the worthiest soul, but he has no more brains than a pin, the small kind of pin that you get in change for a farthing. James always seemed to me a good footman. Rupert, he is admirable footman. I haven't a word to say against him in that capacity. He does his duties with the beautiful regularity of an automatic machine. But move James from his own dear little beaten track, and he is lost, hopelessly, irrevocably lost. What beaten track has he left? And why is he rousing your ladyship's wrath? Lady Cecily Readersdale, lying back in the coziest chair of her cosy debor, swung her pretty foot to and fro, and glanced up at her tall cousin with one of her gay little laughs. Rupert Mernside, the son of her mother's sister, had always been to her more of an elder brother than cousin, and from their earliest youth there had existed between them a frank camaraderie, which had never degenerated into flirtation, or drifted into any sentimental relationship. Cecily was in the habit of saying that Rupert was the person of all others from whom she would not only ask, but take advice. Because his judgment was so sound, and he posed a really well-balanced mind. This opinion of him had been endorsed by her late husband, who had only qualified it with one limitation. Rupert's got a sound and balanced a mind as any man could wish for. But once let the right woman get hold of him, and she will twist him around her little finger. Those words of her husband recurred to Cecily now, as she lifted her eyes from her contemplation of her own dainty shoes, and looked up into Rupert's rugged face. I should rather like to see a woman twist you around her little finger, she said irrelevantly. A woman. Me. What on earth have a woman and I got to do with James' delinquencies? There is method in my madness, but the lane that led from James to your little finger, and the not impossible she, is so long that I can't take you back along its windings. It all comes of the power of association. I shall have Bubba taught everything by association. I am planning a scheme of education that... Where does James come into the plan for Bubba's education? Rupert contrived to ask, his grey eyes shining, a whimsical smile playing around his mouth. Oh, my dear boy, I had completely forgotten James, though talking of Bubba would soon have reminded me of him. Poor silly thing! Bubba ran away two days ago in that appalling fog, and— Bubba ran away? Well, the door was open, 
I suppose the outside world look rather fascinating and mysterious, and she has no nurse just now, you know. So there was no one with her, and, of course, Jane, the nursery-maid, was fetching something from the kitchen, and, well, the long and the short of it was that Bubba ran out into the street, and was promptly swallowed up by the folk. My dear Cecily, providently, as I now consider it, I was out. I had an early appointment with Mathilde. Your dressmaker? My dressmaker. Wasn't it kind of luck, or whatever it is, to let it all happen when I wasn't there? Rupert, if I had been at home, and they told me Bubba was lost, I should have gone straight off my head. That would have been an immensely useful and practical thing to do, was the dry retort. You have never been a mother. You don't know what a mother feels like about her only child, Cecily said with an attempt at dignity that sat quaintly upon her small person and drew an amused laugh from her cousin. I believe it would kill me if anything really happened to Bubba, she went on more gravely. You think I'm just a silly, frivolous thing, but Bubba is all the world to me. I know, dear, I know quite well, Rupert answered kindly, and nobody could think you silly. But go on and tell me what happened two days ago. We haven't got to James' shortcomings yet. Bubba ran out into the square, and nobody missed her at first. Then, when that goose of a Jane came back from her wanderings in the kitchen, she found the nurseries empty, and Bubba nowhere to be found. There was a tremendous hue and cry. The servants seemed to have been on the verge of distraction, and ran off in all directions like frightened hens, leaving James on guard at the door. And, after a few minutes, when the fog lifted, James caught sight of Bubba in a strange girl's arms, evidently quite at home with her, and very happy. You know Bubba's ducky way of making friends with everybody? James flew out, seized Bubba, seems to have thanked her rescuer, and bustled back to the house with the child, without even dreaming of asking the stranger's name. What sort of person was she? Oh, I don't know. When I asked James, he could only say, Well, my lady, she seemed a nice, respectable young person. But heaven knows what James means by a young person. He further volunteered that she was rather shabbily dressed, and I can't bear to think that she went away with no thanks from me, and with no reward. Rupert smiled down into his cousin's pretty, eager face. Perhaps the thought of reward never entered her head. There are still some disinterested people left in the world, and Bubba is a very fetching little being to rescue from the dangers of a fog. She looked so fetching that morning, too. I came in just after she was brought back, and there she was, the little monkey, in her red cloak which she had found in the hall, where, needless to say, it ought not to have been. 
with no hat, and all her curls in a delicious tangle, her face so soft and pink, and her eyes shining. She looked a delectable baby, but, Rupert, she had on the most valuable lace frock and pearls around her neck. Only think what might have happened if some horrible person had found her. My pretty baby! And Cecily's face grew suddenly white and grave, while she shivered at the picture conjured up by her own mind. I asked James why he hadn't told the young person to give him her name and address, and he could only say feebly that it never crossed his mind. Poor James! I don't believe he's got a mind. You could advertise for the young lady. If you really want to find her, an advertisement in some leading paper should unearth her for you. Perhaps, too, if she was shabbily dressed, a reward might be a godsend to her. Oh, Rupert, perhaps she's fearfully poor. Do, do advertise for me. I can't bear to think that a girl may be in difficulties when I have more money than I know what to do with. Will you advertise for me? Yes, of course. I don't know what I should do without you, she continued, looking at him gravely, but with no hint of coquettishness in her glance. I do miss John so dreadfully. I do want a man to help me and advise me. You can have me whenever you want me her cousin answered with equal gravity, knowing that her words, which in another woman's mouth might have implied a desire to change their friendly relationships for something more lover-like, on Cecily's lips held merely their surface meaning, no more. I always hope that some day you will marry again, Rupert went on with brotherly frankness. You have been alone three years now, your great property is a big handful for a woman to manage, and John would wish for you happiness above everything else in the world. John never thought of anything but my happiness, was the gentle answer. I don't think any girl ever had a better, dearer husband. People thought, perhaps you thought so, too, that I just married him for his money. It wasn't true. At first, quite at first, when father showed me what a huge difference it would make to them all if I married a millionaire, I did think more of John's fortune than of himself. But it was only quite a first. After that, I knew I would rather live in a cottage with him than in a palace with anybody else. I don't think... I shall marry again, unless I find I am too weak and silly to manage Bubba's fortunes by myself. Rupert looked silently down at her bent, bright head, a new reverence stirring within him for the little cousin. Hitherto he had regarded her with the kindly affection of an elder brother for a small sister, whom he considers scarcely more than a child. 
but this grave Cecily was showing him depths of whose existence he had never been even dimly aware. But that's enough of being solemn, Cecily exclaimed, shattering his new conception of her with characteristic sadness. Talking of marriage, the thing I hanker for most in the whole world is to see you married, Rupert. You don't look a bit like a soured old bachelor, and yet here you are, more than thirty-five, and not one single woman's name has ever been mentioned in connection with yours. For which mercy let us be humbly and devoutly thankful, her cousin answered, laughing, though how sincere was his thankfulness only his own heart knew, and into that heart there flashed as he spoke the vision of a white face and dark eyes, deep with unfathomable mystery. If I don't want to marry, why hassle me into the holy estate? I believe the prayer book strongly urges us not to undertake it lightly or unadvisedly. Now you are flippant, as if you would be marrying lightly or unadvisedly. If you wait until you are within five years of forty, before choosing a wife, when I think of the hundreds of really charming girls I've introduced to you with... With a view to matrimony? Rupert ended the sentence, punctuating his words with a laugh. Let me recommend you to study the matrimonial columns of some of the papers. You will possibly find an eligible husband there for some of your charming girls. Rupert, don't be so incorrigibly low and horrid. As if any girl with a rag of decency or self-respect would answer one of those advertisements. Why? Men who advertise for wives can only be seedy adventurers, the sort of person one reads of in books and never meets in real life. Seedy sort of adventurers, Rupert repeated slowly, turning, as if by chance, to survey his own reflection in the mirror over the mantelpiece. There are adventurers and adventurers. Perhaps some of those who advertise do it for a joke. Just like a man if they do, her cousin answered vehemently. And then some poor girl takes the wretched creature seriously and thinks he means his stupid joke. I should despise a girl who answered such an advertisement, but I should much more despise the man who inserted it. Don't scorn them too much. Everybody has different ideas, and it takes all sorts to make a world. Your sort don't advertise for husband and wives. But our section of society is not so faultless that we can afford to throw stones even at people who marry through a matrimonial bureau. It's so low, the sort of thing a shop girl might do not lower than displaying your daughters in the best market, as the society mother does, Rupert answered sternly. Not lower than running a man to earth, as shoals of women do, and do it without an ounce of shame. But answering an advertisement like that is almost asking a man to marry you. Perhaps. 
and when poor old Donkin lost his wife a year ago, a lot of women wrote and proposed to him. Yes, actually wrote and offered to marry him. He told me so himself, and those were women of your class, well-born and well-educated. Well, we have the consolation of knowing that he refused the lot. Horrid beasts! No wonder you men lose your respect for women, if you think we are all capable of doing that sort of thing. We don't think so, Rupert's contemptuous tones grew gentle again. We know the difference between the womanly woman and the others. Thank God, there are plenty of the right sort left. And Rupert stooped suddenly and took his cousin's two small hands into his. You aren't going, she exclaimed. I wanted you to see Baba, and there are thousands of things I meant to say to you. So sorry, but the thousands of things must be postponed, and I have an appointment at five, and I must keep it. You will advertise for the young person? Yes, I won't forget the young person. And, by the way, Cecily, a slight trace of embarrassment showed on his face. Didn't you tell me you wanted to find a sort of nursery governess for Baba? Certainly I do. But, my dear boy, what do you know about nursery governesses? I don't know anything about them, was the reply. But Cecily's quick eyes still noted embarrassment in both voice and manner. But I heard the other day of a girl who... who might be wanting a post. A girl who might be wanting a post? Cecily exclaimed mockingly. The person I engage for Baba would have to be somebody much less vague than that, and she must have unimpeachable references. Unimpeachable references, Mernside reflected as he left his cousin's house, and, side by side with Cecily's words, other words tossed to and fro in his brain words written in a clear, girlish hand that had an odd character of its own. I cannot find work, and I need a home very much. Probably she is quite impossible, his reflection ran on. Cecily had a good deal of right on her side when she talked about shop girls and matrimonial advertisements. I dare say I shall find C.M. belongs to that class of girl. And if so, what am I going to do about her? Ah, well, Margaret will help. It was this thought that buoyed him up during his walk across the park from the Reddysdale mansion to Eaton Square, to the small white house in Bayswater. But as he pushed open the familiar gate and walked up the garden path, a shock of surprise awaited him. The blinds of the room to the right of the front door were pulled down, and his repeated ringing of the bell brought no response from within. The bell clanged in the kitchen regions, its echoes dying away forlornly. But no footstep sounded in the hall, no hand lifted the latch of the door, and as he stepped back and looked up at the house, 
Rupert saw that no smoke was coming from the chimneys. A sick fear smote at his heart. What had happened? What could have happened? The day before, he had been here, sitting with Margaret in that very room over those windows. The blinds were now so closely drawn. She had seemed tired, it was true, but not more tired than he had often seen her, and he had no reason to suppose that she was more ill than usual. She was always fragile. He was accustomed to find her one week on the sofa, another week sufficiently strong to be moving about the room, and even going out of doors. But that her house should be barred and bolted against him was inexplicable. He felt as though the ground had been cut away from under his feet, as if the very foundations of his life had been shaken. Why? Today was the day she had herself fixed for his interview in her house with the girl of the advertisement. Margaret had arranged the hour. It was by her suggestion that he had written to C.M., proposing a meeting at 100 Bradford Road, and now he found the house locked up and apparently empty, with no word of explanation or apology. Could Margaret have been suddenly taken ill? If so, why had she not let him know? Yet, if she was ill, she would be in the house, and Elizabeth with her. Somebody would have answered his ringing, which had grown more and more imperative as each ring remained unanswered. Could she have gone away? Gone away without letting him have the slightest hint of her intended going? Was that more conceivable than his theory of sudden illness? Again, sick dismay knocked at the door of his heart, and with it came a wave of hot anger against Margaret. Surely his years of faithful devotion, of willing service, had entitled him to more consideration than this at her hands. He had made few demands upon her, but this sudden and unexplained disappearance was a strain which even the merest friendship should not be called upon to bear. Once again he pealed the bell, and even knocked vigorously at the knocker, but neither sound produced the slightest effect and he was pre-forced turning away, when the gate clicked and he saw a breathless personage of the charwoman class carrying up the path. "'I'm sure I beg your pardon, sir,' she panted, "'just like my luck to a poppin' out for a minute twice in the afternoon, and each time somebody called.' "'Are you in charge of this house?' Rupert asked his own agitation making him speak more sternly than the occasion quite warranted. "'Yes, sir, and I'm truly sorry, sir,' the woman whimpered, wiping her much-heated face with her grimy apron. "'Come here yesterday, I did all of a sudden. Mrs. Stanforth and Mrs. Herring, her maid, going away unexpected, and me having an extra lot of washing and all. But I say to Jem, my son, Jim, I says— Yes, yes, Rupert interrupted impatiently. But where is Mrs. Stanforth? Did she leave any message, any note? Did she tell you to say anything to people who called? Lord knows, sir. Went off in a hurry and didn't leave no message for nothing. 
and I'm sure I'm sorry I wasn't here when you came, but I popped out for a minute, and let out the kitchen fire too, and I just had to see my bit o' washing, and there, I run back a half an hour ago, and there was a young lady in a rare talking then, and so— A young lady, Rupert again broke into her stream of words. Poor young thing, she did seem upset over it too. Said she was expected, and she was to be here at five and all. There, I was sorry for her. Seemed to strike her all of a heap. Then she see the shut-up house. She says quite hurt like Well, I suppose it was a hoax. Them was her very words. I suppose you explained to her that the lady had gone away unexpectedly? Rupert exclaimed with growing irritation. You didn't let the young lady think she had been brought here for a joke. Well, of course, sir, I didn't know nothing about it, was the offered retort. If you ask me, I should say there was something queer in telling somebody to come to an house at five o'clock, and then for the house to be shut up, which I should say it was a poor joke myself. She says, Ain't Mr. Mernside here? And I says, I don't know nothing about nobody of that name. And she looks as if took her back, as if I'd hit her. And so... Rupert uttered a smothered oath, then mastered himself, and asked more quietly, And how long has the young lady been gone? Best part of a quarter of an hour. Quiet young lady she was, too. Dressed very plain. You might say shabby and went off looking fit to crying with disappointment. And I just popped out again to get me bit o' relish for tea, and you came. Lord, it do seem strange. The good lady was left to address her rambling remarks to the shrubs in the garden, for Rupert, unable to bear more of her discursiveness, turned and fled, shutting the garden gate with a sharp clang behind him, and feeling that his world had all at once gone wrong, very wrong indeed. End of chapter four. Recorded by Trevor Neil Dent in two thousand and twelve.